everyone to another episode of the Because Football Podcast. It's your host, Coach Andrew, and today we have a fantastic guest calling into us all the way from Phnom Penh, Cambodia. We have Chris Grant. He is the general manager of Svireyang Football Club in Cambodia, as well as the founder managing director of Elite Soccer Coaching, uh, coaching schools in Phnom Penh. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you, Andrew. Uh, pleasure to be here. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I kind of botched it a little bit in the beginning, but could you give the full name of the, the club that you uh, that you work with in Cambodia? Sure. The, the full name is uh, Prekan Rich Swirian. Um, and don't worry, you're not you're not the first person that uh, has been unable to uh, get the, get the full name right. <laughs> yeah, just whenever I'm following on like Instagram and things, I just see all the letters. Uh, I identify the the initials. I'm like, okay, I think I know who it is in the club badge <laughs> and everything. Um, sure. But yeah, definitely a mouthful there. But but so I guess you know my my first question here. You know, we see where you are today. What was your earliest experience of the game, and and how did that impact you? I think the earliest uh, memory of, of football is is through my dad. Um, you know, my dad taking me to our, our local team. I, I'm from Edinburgh in Scotland, so um, my local team is Hearts. And you know, going and being on the terraces, the old terraces back in the old yeah. days and yeah. in the in the 80s and 90s, and being on his shoulders and you know watching the football and you know, just getting that bug of, the, you know, the atmosphere, the excitement, the drama, everything, that, the emotion that you, you get from football. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a part of my life ever since, um, you know, from, from playing as soon as I could start walking and, you know, playing youth football. And obviously you know, that things have transpired into getting into coaching and then into the management position that I'm in now. So, no, I have I have a lot to thank football for for where I am in in life and career, and yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been a, a huge part of my life for as long as I can remember. Yeah, same here, and I'm sure a lot of us listening have, have the same feelings for the game. And and so, what did that look like then? So, of course, you start playing, and and when did you start getting that itch to to take the next step and getting to kind of a coaching role? Yeah, so actually I left school, uh, high school at 15 and I went to college and started um, studying sports coaching with sports development. So I was still playing locally um, and it just started to, the coaching, the, the course started to give me just a little bit of a flavour um, of the coaching side of it, uh, um, the, the very different elements of, of sports uh, that involved because previously always just, you know, playing football all the time. So yeah, just just through doing the the the, the course at college, and then through that, I got an internship uh, coaching at a company in Edinburgh as well, doing soccer schools and camps, and yeah, just started to get a taste of coaching. And um, obviously, things I, I kind of knew that I was never going to be a professional football player, and so the natural step was you know to to be involved and stay in football, and coaching was that first step that I took, and. Uh, after finishing college at 19, I went full time um, and okay. coaching and just working at grassroots level initially, uh, going into schools, doing programs, doing camps, uh, soccer schools, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then that, you know, uh, got me into doing my coaching badges with the SFA. And then through that, doors opened to start to work in academies with professional clubs in Scotland. And I started to, you know, really focus on pursuing a career within youth, youth development football. And and what kind of coaching style would you say you have when it comes to, to interacting with players and, and what are some of your values as a coach? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I never worked a, a, as a head coach, so it's very, very different when you're working with young kids, um, mm-hmm, especially sure. when you're working at that grassroots um, level. Um, of course, the main objective is that they have fun. They've got to enjoy the game. They've got to, you know, leave the field at the end and have had fun and want to come back and want to play the game again and, you know, have that have that buzz about football. Um, so I guess, you know, just when I was coaching at, at grassroots level, it was, you know, ensuring the kids have fun, they, they learn, they develop. Um, but yeah, they, had, they, they develop the social skills and, you know, meet new friends and they just get a great experience out of it. Obviously, as you then move into academies, uh, that becomes a little bit different when you are, sure. you know, much more focused on the player development, um, focused on, you know, building players to get them, you know, through the different age groups and then, you know, hopefully into the, the senior team. So we obviously, at any football club that I worked in, um, of course, you have a little bit of an idea of how you want to play, but there's always a philosophy that has been, you know, uh, the club identity that you have to mm-hmm. follow in terms of how, you know, the academy manager or the director of football wants, you know, the style of play to be done within the academy and, you know, the set curriculum and the programme. So the things may have changed now uh, back, back in Europe and stuff, but certainly as a young coach coming in, there wasn't a huge amount of freedom to, to express yourself as a coach because there was, you know, a structure there that, you know, this is what they wanted to be delivered to the kids within their academy program. And right. obviously you right. can put some ideas and you can tweak things and do do things that you like to do, but there is a set curriculum um, that, that you have to follow. So yeah, I don't I don't really say I well, I can't really say that I've had a a clear kind of philosophy as a coach. Obviously I have a philosophy of football that I like to watch, of course, as sure. we all do. Sure. We all want to watch, you know, fast football, pressing, high intensity, and ball on the ground, quick combination plays. So of course I enjoy that element of football. But um yeah, I think it's very different when you're a head coach, you have that as maybe a, a, an academy coach or a grassroots coach, it's it's slightly different in terms of what, what you're trying to put across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's a big picture, right, when you're talking about your curriculums and the, the vision that the club has for development and what type of football they want to play. But what I heard you say is just like, and especially at the, the level that many of us are at and, and certainly where, where I'm coaching at, just having the fun element, right? And I think, honestly, whichever level you go up, you still have to, to maintain that. It just looks differently, right? Yeah. Fun at a, a U6, U7 grassroots session is going to look different than fun at a, an under-18s academy level. Um, but you still have to find your way of tapping in and connecting with, with those players individually. And I think that's the challenge as a coach of, of balancing those things. So so you're coaching, you got involved in the academy, you've got a very unique path, man. Where does Cambodia come into all this and how did you find yourself there? Yeah, so uh, back in Scotland, while I was working in academies, I actually set up my own coaching company. Um, I, I had a, a kind of burning desire and seen that there was a need to try and, you know, start what we called back in Scotland development centres. Um, so my idea initially for elite soccer coaching was to try to open development centres for players to get additional training, to work on skills that they felt they need to improve. Maybe they were in academies, maybe they were in youth clubs, it didn't really matter. But it was a development centre for, for players to come. So I set up elite soccer coaching back home and um, you know, ran very well. We still did the grassroots stuff as well as the, the development centres. And 
I started to come to Cambodia quite regularly because uh, of my dad. He he moved here, so I started to come over. I'd never heard of Cambodia before uh, until he moved here. Started to come just visit him, and you know, each year I came, I started to you know, this is you know quite a cool place. What an awesome country! So different, of course, the culture, the weather, mm-hmm. the lifestyle, everything. Um, and each time I kept coming, I started to you know try and engage with people on the ground here in football. Um, and to be honest with you, there was really nothing at you know youth development grassroots. Um, it's still actually a problem now in Cambodia um, in terms of grassroots and youth development. So, you know, over time, I I always had the desire for elite soccer coaching to try and branch out worldwide. Yeah, man. It was a bit, not easy, but it was a big dream. And I thought, you know. What the best way to do that than to go to Cambodia, where I visited many times. My dad's there, perfect, perfect place to go. So, uh, yeah, 2013, I took that step and I came to Cambodia with nothing. There was no nothing prearranged. I came here with the company still in Scotland and it was, let's try and implement what we are doing in Scotland and implement it here in Cambodia. So we literally started, or I, I literally started with a blank piece of paper and just built it. Um, I think the first sessions that we did was, you know, two, three kids and, you know, then it starts to build week after week, month after month and people start to see what's going on and then started working and engaging with international schools and starting to do programs in schools and then starting to do camps and, you know, it just evolves over time where we can get to the model of what we're doing in Scotland or like you may know the models that mm-hmm. you know, companies have, have in the US and stuff and yeah, ten ten years now that we elite soccer is still still running in Cambodia, and we're we're one of the biggest kind of grassroots um, organizations in, in Cambodia. I love that the the idea of you just with nothing. Obviously, your dad, maybe some relationships, right? But really nothing, and and like yeah. you said, that that blank page is starting from zero, right? That takes a lot of courage and a lot of risk, and I'm sure that there were times that you were doubting yourself, right? I'm sure when you told people back home what your plan was, they're like, what are you talking about? Cambodia, they probably had, didn't know anything about it, right? Or if they'd heard things, it might've just been been negative things. Um, you know, and, and we're talking about a country with that that socially and economically is is very disadvantaged, right? And, and there's a lot of challenges. So I, I'm sure that in that early stages, there were times where you were like, what am I doing here? And and, and so what kind of allowed you to go from that a bit of hope, but it's like this ignorant hope, right? You're like, well, I'll make it work. And then you start to see reality, right? And reality starts to happen. And then you get some some setbacks, some successes. So what, what was like going on in your head and your heart as you're going through this process of building something essentially from scratch? I mean, you had the experience, but in a new place, it's a totally different environment. Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting question. And to be honest, uh, I never really thought about it. I just kind of did it. Um, and it just, thankfully, it worked. I just, you know, I believed in what I was doing. I believed that I could help. I believed I could make a difference. And um, I, I knew, obviously, from my experience in Scotland that, that, you know, I gained a lot of knowledge about youth development, and particularly in grassroots. And, you know, the early days, yeah, looking back, you're kind of like two, three kids. Is it going to grow? Is it going to work or not? But persistence and keeping at it and keeping a level of professionalism and, you know, trying trying to grow it to make sure, that, you know, people see value in what you're doing. And 
of course, you know, because I couldn't speak Khmer, the, the language, everything was being delivered in, in English. So you were really just attaching yourself to possibly expat families that were living in, and working in Cambodia or Cambodians that could speak English. So very limited kind of market there. So it certainly took many months to, to really get to a stage where this, this is going to work. Um, but it was just, yeah, as I said already, just persistence, just, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it work. And I never once felt thought about this isn't going to work. Uh, mm. It was never, never crossed my mind. Uh, it was just like, yeah, I'm going to do it and it's going to work. And what challenges come along the way, we'll find a solution and we'll find a way around it. And, you know, we'll, we'll make it happen. So, um, yeah, that, that's, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, that's... That's it, right? I mean, I think you look at that success story and of many people, it's you had the vision. That was your plan A. It was, you know, that was your belief. You didn't doubt yourself. You just went for it. And, and you know, despite what was happening, you maintained that within yourself. And I think that's fantastic. So from there, working with kids, we're talking grassroots level. Where did this opportunity to join the professional game in Cambodia, like where did that come from? And, and what did that look like at first? Yeah, so um, obviously elite soccer coaching started to grow and I guess people were like, "What? who is this guy? What's going on? Sort of thing. And um, actually, the one of the most, well, the most successful football club in Cambodian history, Phnom Penh Crown, um, actually reached out to me. Um, they had a foreign head coach who was from Swiss, but had been in Cambodia for a very long time. And they had, you know, a residential academy and, you know, they were a club that was really trying to build um, properly. And they reached out and we just connected and, you know, they seemed, you know, potentially me working with the club. And initially it was just working with the senior team doing kind of opposition analysis. So just going to league games, watching their next opponent and making a report for the head coach. And, and that, that was the role and I was just focused on elite soccer. Um, and over time, you know, relationships built and grew and um, there was an opportunity there. They, they started a residential academy. They brought in a lot of foreign staff, uh, foreign uh, English coach for the head of academy. And then they had under 18s, under 15s and they started the under 13s. And then they spoke to me about coming in kind of full time to, to be the kind of head coach for the under 13s. And, you know, of course, uh, I was delighted to do that. So. That kind of started to get me into the professional kind of club mm -hmm. scene. And, and I was with them for maybe about 18 months or so. Um, and then, you know, for whatever reason, decided to, to move on uh, as things happen in football. And I went back to elite soccer and just focused on that. And um, a mutual friend um, got in touch and said, hey, it's uh, Swahiri and they're, they're looking to kind of rebuild their academy and they'd be interested in speaking to you about academy manager. And I said, yeah, sure. So um, I met with the CEO and we had a chat and yeah, that, that, that obviously went really, really well. And we both kind of aligned on what we wanted to do. And um, so my official first role within the club that I'm in at the moment was an academy manager role. Um, and I was probably in that role for about six months um, and then changes started to happen in the club and we brought in a new head coach that I helped kind of recruit and that kind of naturally transferred my role into a general manager role um, mm. which I have to say I really struggled for the first couple of years um, 
because, I mean, I had never managed a professional football club before. This was completely new territory. Um, so I was, you know, learning on on job, on the day. Um, mm-hmm. Never, all, all my experience was coaching, coaching qualifications. Then all of a sudden, you know, I'm sitting in an office and I'm trying to work out how do we run this football club? How do, how do we make it better? Um, and I also missed being on the grass. I really, really missed being on the grass and coaching because the role took 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 that away from me. And, yeah. and I did struggle for 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 about two years to find my feet in the role and to really grasp it and to enjoy it, and also to then not miss the field too much. And really, now I've been in the role for six years now, and and really now focusing on okay, th- this is my new career path. I really enjoy the management side. It's a complete reverse uh, of where I was before. Um, and you know, I studied with Johan Cruyff Institute to to learn about um, football business. So uh, I've really kind of dedicated this. This is what I'm going to do. And um, yeah, it's been been six years no coaching, six years management of the football club, and it's been. Uh, refreshing. It's been really interesting, and it's been massively development for myself, and um, hugely. Um, so yeah, well, you know, very, very lucky to to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah, it's a big difference, right? I mean, you go from just working with with younger players, developing players. It's a pretty limited scope, you know, and and you'd had your experience in that. But it sounds like from from starting elite soccer coaching back in Scotland, and then and starting it up in then in Cambodia, you know, you had to have some kind of organizational skills, business, entrepreneurial skills. So do you think having that kind of business background, right, a mix of, of the coaching, but obviously trying to, to build something, was that maybe what had that stuck out to the CEO about the, what made you potentially appropriate for this new general manager role? And, and did that kind of prepare you at first, although you say you struggled, was that kind of an asset and skill that you had walking into it? Yeah, I think I didn't think about that at the time, but I think it probably definitely, you know, I probably had skills and knowledge that I developed up by, you know, starting a business and running a business that, you know, certainly helped me. Um, it's just, it's obviously such a different ballgame, completely, you know, professional football, results driven, there's much more pressure than, you know, having a grassroots, you know, coaching company. Absolutely. So very, very different, but I think you're, you are spot on that there is obviously tools um, that were that developed uh, doing there. I would say also that I'm very, very grateful that I came from a coaching background into the role that I'm in because I understand a lot more of the needs of the players, of the coaches. Um, okay, the tactical stuff, I'm not you know, at the level of the head coaches who are pro licenses and stuff, but I understand a lot more. Whereas I think if I didn't come from a coaching background and maybe just came from a business background purely and came into this role, I think, you know, yeah, sure, I'd have maybe different strengths and different qualities, but I think you lack that maybe a little bit understanding of football at times when you've actually Mm -hmm. went a coaching pathway, you've done coaching courses, you've coached grassroots, you've coached an academy. I think it has massively helped me within the role having had that experience. Yeah, absolutely. Within your role, you're kind of in the middle, right? You have the the playing side, the operations, then you've got obviously the CEO to answer to and the overall health and success and viability of the club. Um, What is what is like your day to day look like within this general manager role? Um, So, yeah, it's an early start. 
um, it's up and in, into the training ground. Um, and then it's, it's starting to meet with um, all the, the kind of heads of departments to see where we're at and what things we need to tackle. So just to kind of reverse six years, um, when when I kind of took on this role, um, the club was, was, was certainly not in the position that we're in now in terms of the infrastructure and the departments that we have. We, we were, you know, there wasn't really any departments. There was a few part-time staff kicking around. There wasn't really any processes and structures in place. So we, we really, although it was a professional football club and was successful in its own way, it wasn't operating like a professional football club should, should operate or like a, any successful business should operate. And so we really, uh, really had to develop that over the last six years to ensure that there's processes in place, that there's departments in place, and that we can actually function like a business, like an, op op uh, an operation. Um, so my day-to-day -day work now has become a lot more, I want to say easier, even though it's not easier, but it's, it's more structured than it was in the past um, because mm -hmm. we're now the heads of departments, we have good people in place now. That you know, my day to day is you know I meet with the marketing team, I meet with the media team, I meet with the head of admin of HR, or I meet with the finance manager. We just go through all the things that we need to work on, that we need to improve, things that are coming up, and and we just go through all the different elements of the football club on a day to day basis to ensure that we're we're operating at a sufficient level and how are we going to improve and um, to make sure. My role, which I've understood over, over the last couple of years, is to ensure that things are as smooth as possible, that nothing affects the senior team, nothing affects the coaching. They can just get on with their job and focus on the field. My job is to ensure that everything around them, all the noise, everything else, is as smooth as it possibly can be to ensure that they can focus on what they need to focus on, which is performances on the field. So that's my role. That's what I do day to day and, and deal with all the departments to ensure that that process is in place. And, and that's a very succinct and clear way to put it. And it's also much easier said than done, um, yes. especially with you being in a new like adopted homeland. Right. With a like you are coming from outside. And yes, you have skills, you have a background. And obviously those that value that you bring has been recognized by by given the, the trust and the role that you've been put in. Um, because at least to my knowledge in much of world football, it, on the, the technical side, the coaching side, the playing side, it's not uncommon to have, you know, just look for the best talent from around the world. But typically the administration, the manager roles, that tends to be more domestic, right? It tends to be, okay, like this is our, our country, our club, like we're kind of going to run things. So what were some of the cultural communication um, kind of like social elements that you had to kind of grapple with at first before you could kind of get to this smooth and, and well-functioning machine? Yeah, no, I, I think well, obviously I had the advantage that I'd already been living in the country for four years. And so I, I knew I had picked up some of the language. So I'm able to speak some Khmer. And, you know, obviously I'm very accustomed to the way of life, uh, which is very, very different. So I think, you know, here and working with, with Cambodians um, particularly, and I think it's also common within the region, is that they, you, you have to work delicate, delicately with them. Um, 
because, you know, coming in bashful and, you know, I know this and, you know, I you, that you're doing it all wrong and it doesn't work. It doesn't work in any environment, but sure. just my experience here in Cambodia, it doesn't work even more just because of the, you know, they're a Buddhist country, they, they're very calm, they, you know, they, they like to, you know, a safe face is very important. So you have to work around that to find the solutions of, you know, okay, we've done this, but what about if we do it this way? And what do you think about that? And trying to include them in the transitions that we're trying to make, because like you, like you rightly said, this is their country, this is their club, this is their football. We, you know, for however long I've been here, I will always be a foreigner. I'll always be, you know, an outsider. And because this is not not my country, it's not my birth country. So I think you always have to respect, and you have to you have to manage that. Um, and I think one thing that I'm always want to do is, and I've done it with elite soccer as well as any employee that works with me. I want them to feel like they're included in what we're doing. It's not a dictatorship in terms of this is what we're going to do and this is the right way because I don't know all the answers. Right. And they know more than me in terms of culturally and things that we need to do and we need to approach this in a different angle. And so they really need to be feel part of it. Um, and they need to feel that they're part of the change and they are making things change for the better. Um, and it's not just being purely driven by me. So it's a very delicate kind of balancing act of not trying to make changes for the better. But working in a way that the staff feel that they're part of that change and they're included in change and they're heard and their opinions are heard and that there's flexibility in, in what we're trying to do to, to manage it the right way. In, in any environment, right, people don't want to be told super directly or, or kind of chewed out that they're doing things wrong. So it takes a, an approach to leadership of, I think, that requires like empathy, certainly. So you've mm -hmm. got to kind of see where they're coming from, what they're accustomed to, I mean, with, with my experiences, even as an English teacher, English teacher in, in Thailand, right, living in Bangkok for two years, seeing the, the educational system, seeing how, like, authority generally interacts with people in those levels, like, it really showed me, okay, like, if I approach these kids, right, or I approach my colleagues the same way I would in the United States, where we have a much different way of functioning, a different way of communicating, there's going to be some issues there, and, and it took me a while to learn that, right, and, and like you're saying, at least you had three, four years in the country, you had a really good base before you're going into mm -hmm. this, this higher role. Um, so with that said, and talking about like some of the, the, the thought process and, and your considerations as a leader within Cambodia, if we look at Cambodian football as a whole, um, I know we spoke a few years ago uh, about kind of where things were at and, and I was very curious. So, so what do you think is, is some positive developments recently within the country um, that gives it real upside and, and potential for the future? Yeah, no, I think, you know, where Cambodia was when I first came here to where it is now is you know, massive, massive difference. Um, there's been, you know, huge changes in the Cambodian league and the and Cambodian ecosystem over the last, I would say, five years is when it's kind of really been starting. Um, and obviously, the only way things can really change is through investment. 
and that's what's required. Investment in good fields, investment in stadiums and floodlights, and investment in good people and good staff, good structures. Um, so this is maybe something that was lacking in the past that has definitely changed in Cambodia. Um, there's a lot of good owners of football clubs who are investing quite heavily, even though revenue streams are almost non-existent here, and even revenue streams that are here are very, very small. So a lot of the you know day-to-day -day operations and running of the football club has to be funded by the owners. Um, so we have a lot of fantastic owners that are putting you know good money into the club and into the right areas for infrastructure and personnel and stuff. Um, the club, the sorry, the the league recently rebranded and uh, last year uh, privatized uh, to the Cambodian Premier League. So it's now become a private entity away from the federation, um, mm -hmm. and it's run now by there's a Japanese CEO who's in place at the moment. Um, so the the privatization and the commercialization of the league has really started to happen over the last couple of years, and I think this has really helped the development uh, of the league as well. Um, the, what's actually astounded me this year is the attendances have really started to shoot, shoot up massively. Um, you know, la last few seasons, sometimes you know, the average for the league weekend maybe you know two thousand, three thousand, four thousand over the course of the league weekend. We're we're four four games in to to the season, and I think we've been breaking your know, ten thousands, twelve thousand, thirteen thousand. So there's been a big big shift, and I think the reason for that is because of the prior the, the professionalism has changed, and um, the fields are better, the conditions are better, the stadiums are better, the quality of players has improved because of the good work that's been done in the academies. Mm -hmm. There's more resources available, so there's better foreign players playing in the country. There's more foreign coaches working in the country as well, which is raising the level of professionalism and tactics and style of plays. And people like myself and other other GMs that are, are working in the clubs as well. We have other foreigners uh, working in other clubs are really helping to drive professional standards across across the, the game. So I think there's a lot of fantastic work that is going on here at the moment. Um, a lot of good investment into the right areas. Of course, there's still challenges. There's still things that are not perfect that need to be improved. But I think Cambodian football is really heading in, in a very positive direction. And there's there's a real kind of buzz about Cambodian football at the moment, certainly domestically. Um, and, you know, long may that continue. Just from an outside view of me, just periodically checking in and seeing things. It definitely seems to to be that way, right? And and as you mentioned, with the, the move to privatize and professionalize the league, um, I've just noticed it in the the league branding and the quality of, of marketing and things like that. Even simple things like the the quality of the website and thing, you know, just making it more kind of interactive and fan friendly. You mentioned the attendances, right? And that rising. Um, I know something I noticed in in Thailand is that, of course, there's local teams, right? But many people just have this strong affinity for the Premier League, right, or potentially some European leagues, and, and they're accustomed more to watching that. And honestly, there's more of a, uh, a feeling of, of passion and support for those foreign leagues than there is for their own domestically. So obviously something must be changing a little bit there if the attendances are going up. So what do you think has led to maybe people embracing the local league more than they had in the past? 
No, I, I think we have the same issues here in Cambodia. I mean, the EPL is obviously massive worldwide and Cambodia is no different. You know, we, we have fan clubs of Arsenal and Chelsea here in Cambodia, and, you know, all the clubs. Um, so th this is a barrier for sure for Cambodian football. Um, there, there's no doubt about that. But Cambodian people are, are very passionate about their country. They're very patriotic. Um, and I think that the fact that they can see that you know, the standards are rising. Like you said, the marketing also helps. The look and the feel of it, it's more attractive to come and watch. I think, you know, the fact that the infrastructure's improved, the stadiums are nicer and more comfortable, mm -hmm. it feels more like a professional football stadium, attracts people as well. And just generally, the, the level and quality of players and, and the style of play has improved as well. It's more exciting. And I think all of these elements are, are attracting fans to come and watch the local football. The, you know, the, the Cambodian fans, what's been a big um, kind of question mark, and I, I still don't know the answer to it, is always when the Cambodian national team play, 60,000 sold out stadiums. Always, Wild. Wild. Yes. Yeah. Um, regardless of who they're playing. Um, but then, you know, the, the league's on the following week and you'll have, you know, two or three thousand. So why is there such a big gap between the national team fan base and then the domestic uh, club fan base? I still don't know the answer to that, um, but it is growing. And I think some of the things that we've talked about with privatisation, the professionalism, the marketing, the media, the... The, the stadiums, the infrastructure, the players, the coaching, everything is improving. And that's obviously drawing people in to come and watch it because they know the players already. They follow them in the Cambodian national national team. So they know all the players. Um, it's maybe just the overall environment and the feeling um, that is, is drawing them to, to, to come in to, to watch the games. Right. And, and right. so what I'm hearing then too is that it's, and, and I talk about this a lot with people because, in the United States, you know, we've, we're 25 or so plus, you know, at this point, almost 30 years into like MLS, right, of a newer league. And and to see the big changes that are happening, obviously, with Messi coming, it's at a, a new level of mania. But you don't know how sustainable that's going to be. And we have this conversation a lot about like culture, right, and what it the, the game means to people individually. And, and that's what takes the longest to impact the culture, especially on a mainstream level. Um, but that's what ultimately, I think, leads to a lot of that. The quality that then you see at a, a professional, like club level, and then an international level. So if I'm, I know that 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 Cambodia is a country that is is very passionate about football in general. You know, just given the the national team support, like you said, uh, is very impressive to be packing out stadiums with sixty thousand plus people. Um, but if I'm a a young Cambodian kid, maybe I'm I'm six seven years old, like, and I have have dreams and aspirations to become a professional. What would my pathway, what would my journey look like? Well, this is actually one of the failures of Cambodian football at the moment, is grassroots and youth development. Um, it is still a massive problem here um, in terms of I go to the stadium with my family, I watch the game, I get the bug that we've had and, and want to pursue a life in football, whether it's playing or whatever it may be, where do I start? Um, this is a big problem here. Um, they're really apart from obviously like myself elite soccer coaching or some professional clubs that have done football schools there is very very limited grassroots football and uh, very very limited there's no organized leagues there's no organized competitions nothing 
And when you get later into the youth development and academies, and this is also a big failing as well. And it's, it is something where the Federation need to do more to, to help. Um, we are now, what, eight months into this year. There's not been a single competition for academies in Cambodia at this moment in time. Um, so the academies are training, they're playing friendly games, they're joining other competitions that maybe private organisations are putting on to have you know competitive games. So there's definitely a big, big hole and a big problem here at the moment, still at that foundation level of grassroots and youth development that needs to be tackled. Um, clubs are doing a lot of work, including our club. We, we started our football school this year in January. We have about 160 kids in the football schools. Anybody can come and join, boys, girls. We have under 10s, 13s, 15s, 18s and they get the opportunity just to come and play. We opened our training ground, so they're getting access to our facilities. We bring players down, they're, they're getting to meet some of the players. We've given them you know, uniforms, so they're wearing our club uniforms. And now we're starting to allow them to you know, play friendly games against other soccer schools and stuff like this as well. So there's people on the ground, clubs on the ground that are doing the work, um, but there needs to be a lot more work done to, to to really make these pathways more accessible uh, and more fruitful as well for, for Cambodia. Absolutely. Because uh, you think of the, you know, like the whole metaphor of, of the iceberg, right? And so the tip of the mm -hmm. iceberg is the professional league, is the national team. And it sounds like, you know, what's under the surface is just really not there. So you have to wonder how sustainable can the league be even bringing in really, you know, qualified business people and, and much better presentation and better product. Um, you know how long and how sustainable that can that be without that that grassroots um, situation, yeah. right? So, so then if I'm a, a kid, I'm probably just playing in the street, you know, with my mm -hmm. friends or the park, and then maybe if I keep playing and I'm able to, and obviously in a country like Cambodia, you know, kids have to to work and be involved in in providing for the family just because of the level of of you know material need economically and 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 yeah. financially. Um, so it's just maybe a I keep playing because I love it. And then maybe at, at 16, my cousin says, hey, I know this guy. Maybe you should come to the academy or something like that. So how do you like identify that talent to bring players up from, from the younger ages? Yeah, no, what, what you said is completely spot on. And the what we obviously are accustomed to in Europe and you in the US of having a, a scouting system, a recruitment system, is non-existent here. And there isn't scouts, there isn't that kind of recruitment system, particularly at the, the youth level. So mostly a, club, a, a kid would get you know signed up to an academy by doing trials. So the clubs will maybe open trials uh, for this age group. We've done it in the past, our club as well. You get 300 players that come and you also, you have to try and filter through that to try and find you know the best players that you can. Um, it's maybe not always the best practice, uh, because obviously you can miss players sometimes. Players can come and do a trial and they can just have a bad day and you think, you know, you write them off. Um, so it's not the best uh, way. Uh, but because there is no youth development programme, you know, there's not local club football, there's not, you know, youth leagues and stuff where, you know, scouts can go and watch games and report that this, this kid is, you know, really good. We should invite him to come and train with the academy. Because that is non-existent, then for sure that we are missing players so there's no question about that and just to touch on the financial side that you mentioned and you're completely right about that i think 
one thing that is starting to change a little bit um, is, you know, going back, you know, even just five five years ago, um, families to see football to be a career for their child was no go and be a doctor go and you know do this because you you know it's a better career in terms of financially um but because the way the cambodian league is growing and the, the obviously the fantastic work that, that many of us are doing here the this has helped the the salaries grow as well uh, with the investment so i think the it is starting to shift where people can actually see that if i can come become a professional football player in cambodia I can actually make good money. I can have a good lifestyle. Um, so you probably have families now opening up more to their children coming to play mm. football. But maybe previously it was no focus on you know education, which of course you have to. Um, but you know maybe maybe putting a barrier up there about pursuing a, a career in football. So I do see that changing, thankfully. Um, but of course a, a lot more work needs to get done at the grassroots foundation level to ensure that. You know, there's more opportunities for for young players to to find that pathway to become a professional football player. Most of Europe, United States, if you're a professional top level, like you're probably doing pretty well. Like you know, there's certainly ranges. Whether you talk about our league in the U.S. The MLS, you know, you could be Messi, who's getting a obviously he's an exception, right? He's getting like the Apple TV money and the Adidas money, and then you have yeah. guys making like. Eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year, right? There's a big difference. So, but that's still like comfortable. You know, you, you mm. can have your home, and and you know, if you've got another income, you can maybe support a small family or something. And then Europe, kind of similar. So, so it sounds like then from what you're saying. So, if I'm a, you know, a professional player in the the top division in Cambodia, maybe not a star, but in the middle to lower level of team, like is that enough for me to? to kind of provide for a family right now as, as things stand and, and have like a good standard of living or is it still like, hey, it might be okay for, for a year or two, but I've really got to be saving and, and hoping that, you know, I can make this money go longer once my career's over? Um, I think it's a bit of both. I think um, it, it really depends. You know, all clubs are different here. They have different budgets. The, the wage structure is very different. I think, you know, if you can get yourself into, you know, a top five, top six club, then of course the, the money that you're earning is much more if you're, you know, in you know, eight, ninth, ten rank rank clubs. So um, there's definitely probably still elements there that, you know, they're not quite earning enough, but they're doing something that they love and they're able to get by with the hope that they perform to to continue to obviously get more salary. Um, it's an area that we tackled in our football club when we first joined the club, just to give some context, um, six years ago. I think our top earner in terms of like local players, and these were national team players at the time, was you know less than $1,000 a month. Um, so, I mean, this, this, that is not a lot of money. Um, fast forward six years, um, you're now looking at the kind of top earners in the Cambodian League, our club and the other club who are national team players, two and a half, three thousand dollars a month. That's a big, big difference now. Um, so it's definitely there. Is there still players that are on the line of still kind of struggling and not making enough? I'm sure there probably is. Um, but there is the pathway now for the, the, the salaries to grow and to get better. 
um, yeah, um, no, it is, it is growing. Yeah. And that's the, the point you make is something I haven't really thought of, but the, the, again, we talk about the culture of, as far as family seeing football as a viable option, right. And it's mm. traditionally hasn't been any money, but now with the changing, hopefully that, that helps to, to maybe start to, to get more of a demand for younger levels. And then, and then hopefully the, the FA or, or the clubs in their own way can kind of come in and, and give that structure and organization. Um, yeah. You know, again, I think for most people watching, they they got a Google Cambodia. They're like, where the heck is Cambodia? What like what even are these guys talking about? Maybe they've just heard about some of the, the challenging parts of the, the country's past and things, but but don't really know anything about it. So could you share maybe, uh, you know, let's let's kind of break this up into two. So one, what's something that's like worth traveling and visiting Cambodia for? Uh, that's number one. And then number two, could you share? an experience that you've had in Cambodian football that is super unique just to Cambodia. Like you could not have this experience uh, within the football world or, or the professional world anywhere else in, uh, in the world here. Um, so the first one in terms of uh, Cambodia, why, why people should come and visit here, what's unique about here. I think, the, you know, the, obviously there's tourist sites like Angkor Wat and stuff, but I think, for me, what I would put at the first is the people. Um, the, the people are incredibly warm, uh, very, very nice people, very, very helpful, very welcoming. Um, and, you know, that just fills you with so much, you know, happiness and comfort when you're surrounded by people that, you know, walk down the street and smile at you or say hello or, you know, just pure strangers. Um you know, if you something happens, they're they're there to help you. Um, you know, my ten years having been here, I've never had a bad experience, never. Um, whether the you know the car breaks down or you know whatever happens, people come out and help you. Um, and I think that's just because of the culture, the the Buddhist culture and stuff. It's just a very very warm culture. And um, to come and visit and experience that just in itself. It is very nice and very unique. And look, of course, you have temples here and you have Angkor Wat, which is, you know, one, one of the amazing wonders of the world. And, you know, you have beautiful countryside, you have islands, you know, to enjoy the beach and stuff. So there's lots of diversity here of what you're looking for. But I think wherever you are, the warmth of the people is, is, is very, very special. Uh, very, very special. Um, in terms of Cambodian football, uh, yeah, I've seen some very interesting things. Yeah, what, whatever uh, you can share on the record, right? <laughs> prob probably more on a negative thing uh, in terms yeah. of what's been interesting. Uh, I mean, going back six years ago, thankfully, we, we don't have any of these issues at the moment, but I actually experienced a riot, uh, which I had obviously never experienced before in my life. Uh, unfortunately, it involved our club. Um, that you know, just one day things got a little bit out of control, and a little bit of a riot turned out on the field with players and fans, and yeah, it was a bit chaotic. Um, so this is something that certainly um, on the negative side. Um, I think on the positive side, again, it's just the the atmospheres are very different here. Um, the obviously what we experience or what I know from you know being in Scotland and stuff is a lot more hostile atmospheres and um, you know there's there's really kind of strong negative feelings towards that other team and you know things can be a bit toxic sometimes between fans um, 
one thing that is very different here is that doesn't exist. Um, there's a very warm atmosphere in the stadium. There's still a good atmosphere and banging the drums and singing and chanting, but it's a very warm atmosphere. Um, and you see a lot of families coming to Cambodian football, maybe perhaps because of that. Um, so th this is just something in Cambodia. This may not be a unique thing for Cambodia, um, but it's just one of my experiences. It's been very different from what I'm more accustomed to when I go to a football match from, from back home. It is the warmth of the stadium. Um, you know, our club, we have an ultras and other clubs have ultras as well. And normally at the end of the match, you'll see the ultras come together and they'll take a group selfie together. You know, there's just a warmth there of a love for Cambodian football, a love for the game. Um, and there's no hostile kind of atmosphere between them. Um, so this is just something that's been different and been unique for me within Cambodian football. But it's also very refreshing and it's very nice. I agree. I agree. Because as much as the us versus them tribal nature of football, it does tap into some kind of deep, you know, caveman within us. Um, yeah. Obviously, it has so many negative ramifications that really just aren't necessary. Right. And I think. Fortunately, in most cases, we're moving more and more away from that, um, and and that that expectation is changing. But it's it's refreshing to see in a in a kind of new blossoming football culture that that that's different, right? And it can have more of that family inclusive feeling. Um, yeah. Chris, this has been fantastic. I'm I'm sure that we could do a lot more episodes on this and series, and 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 I would love to, of course, keep in touch as we as we go and, and, and keep tabs on what the club is doing and, and football in Cambodia in general. Uh, but we do unfortunately have to, to, to wrap it up here. So the way that we end every episode with our guests is, could you please complete the sentence because football dot, dot, dot. Jeez. That's an interesting one. Um, because, because football is life. Is that okay? <laughs> There you go. There you go, man. Yeah, it's Chris Grant. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to include like your your LinkedIn information and and uh, the club's information too, so everyone can follow. Hopefully, we we generate a whole new batch of uh, American based or or just you know uh, non Cambodian fans for for Riang and the Cambodian national team in general. But thank you so much for your openness and and sharing and and uh, really really admire and respect the journey you've had. You know, starting all the way from just the soccer schools as a coach in Skyland and now general managing one of the, the most successful clubs uh, in Cambodia. And we wish you success going forward. No, thank you, Andrew. Real pleasure to be on and uh, thank you for your time. Absolutely. So, everyone, thank you so much for watching and listening. Again, check out more information about Chris and the club in the show notes and we'll see you on the next episode.